Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by a repeat guest who's uh, quite fondly appreciated here. And that's uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who is a senior research scientist at MIT, one of the most innovative research universities in the world. She earned not one, not two, not three, but four degrees from <laughs> MIT. <laughs> so uh, she's got a PhD in electrical engineering and computer science, and especially with uh, some, some form of artificial intelligence too, that actually gives her incredible uh, expertise to comment on a wide variety of topics in biology, which is one of her new passions. So she's thankfully applied these, her skill set to this. And she, I didn't realize it until I read her new book, which is Toxic Legacy, <laughs> that she had read Rachel Carson's The Silent Spring when it was shortly after it was published, or maybe while it was, you know, while it was still on the, the hit list. So that is crazy. It was, it was published in 1962. I mean, I did something similar in 1968 when I read Ken Cooper's book, uh, which inspired my uh, journey to exercise. And I've been exercising ever since then, which is like 53 years. But so, so anyway, this, this Rachel Carson's book was the inspiration for Toxic Legacy, which is without a doubt, no questions, uncontroversially, the best book ever written on glyphosate. And uh, I'm so happy to have her on to go into this because, you know, with COVID-19 and everything else going on, we kind of tend to forget about some of the fundamental basics and literally what could be another potential existential threat to humanity was with glyphosate and all its derivatives. So we're going to help you understand that, remind you of the, the importance and the, the uh, really requirement to appreciate the toxicity of this uh, chemical that has been permeating our environment in a massive amount. So with all that introduction, welcome again, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, so it, it's been like over a decade of research to put together this book, but why don't you discuss your journey with it? That's a long time to put together one book. That's true. It's really just been a decade of learning everything I could about glyphosate. I, I got very fascinated with the chemical uh, very early on. When I first heard about it, I just basically dropped everything else I was doing because I was so confident that I had found the answer to the autism epidemic. That was the thing I was looking for. And that was back in 2012, I guess, that I heard this two-hour lecture by Don Huber, and it just really um, changed my focus entirely. I already understood what symptoms of autism, very complex disease, lots of gut problems, you know, and, and mineral issues. And, and it just, it all came together with his lecture. And I just, uh, you know, just became... Uh, overnight, I just started pouring over all the papers I could find. Shortly after that, I found Seralini's paper, which had been 
which had not yet been retracted at that time, but it was retracted and later republished um, a paper by Seralini, a French uh, uh, toxicologist who had um, shown that very uh, low doses of glyphosate over the lifespan of a, of a rat could cause a lot of damage. And he pointed out that, you know, after three months, everything looked good. So it's a slow kill. This is one thing I emphasize in my book. Glyphosate is subtle. And that's really a huge problem because people don't hook it up. You know, we have diabetes, obesity, autism, Alzheimer's. I mean, there's a long, long list, all the gut problems, tons and tons of papers coming out lately on the gut. You know, we didn't notice the gut back in the day because the gut was working fine. We didn't realize those microbes were so important for our health. The microbes are being very much disturbed by the chronic poisoning with glyphosate. And then that is uh, the gut becomes a central a starting point for many, many diseases, including neurological diseases and, and arthritis, you know, and so when you see that disruption of the gut, and when you realize glyphosate can cause exactly the things that we're seeing, and I have a whole chapter on the gut in my book, uh, that was actually the hardest chapter to write, I had to do a lot of research, and there's all these papers with really complicated diagrams and huge amounts of information, it's very hard to kind of sift through it and figure out what the real story is. And I really tried to do that in my book. I'm always looking for the storyline for everything I see. And when I see a disease that's going up dramatically, exactly in step with glyphosate, I look for the particular ways in which glyphosate could cause that disease. That's I love a puzzle. And this is just like a gigantic puzzle. So it's been a lot of fun, actually, for me to do the research. And I believe glyphosate has helped me to understand human physiology, human metabolism. It's really been um, a great resource as a window on health when you see how things get disrupted by a chemical, which has the specific characteristic that glyphosate has, a very unique characteristic that no other chemical has. Yes, indeed. And, and just to comment on your research, uh, in my view, there's two types of research. One is the actually the bench to lab research, which you're not doing. Not at all. You know, but you've got the brain power, the super brain power to really dive in and, and uh, understand molecular biology and put the pieces together in a way that makes sense, at least the, from a theoretic, theoretical perspective, which then can be later proved with bench science and, and uh, correlational studies. So so much appreciation for what you've been doing because it's there's not many people out there doing this especially when the bulk of all the financial support is directly to counter that narrative right to really continue it to, uh, to allow it to permeate our our environment so uh so yeah I, I i i deeply appreciate dr don huber too who is a professor emeritus i think from indiana university or uh, purdue yeah. Purdue. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. Purdue. Somewhere. Yeah, he's over 80 years old and he's still very active. He's still yeah. giving talks around the world. So he's amazing. I really like him. He and I, he and I have become friends and we've given talks uh, together back to back. We did a, you know, uh, an afternoon seminar at a town in Connecticut and we were actually very effective because they banned glyphosate in that town after that event. So we were really happy about that. Wow. A small, one small step. But <laughs> yeah. And along those lines, he's the first person to where I ever heard the shikimate pathway which right. you're very fond of and it really ties into the gut issue that you were describing earlier. Absolutely. Part of it. So, uh, what, so what's the next part of your journey in, in, in putting this all together? What does that mean? You mean, what am I going to do after this book? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just Oh, my journey, my journey, journey, my, my journey actually journey started very early. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It started very early because I had my best friend at the time back in the early 1980s, um, had a, a young child who got a DPT shot and uh, had a, a high fever and a, a piercing cry. And a week later had seizures and 
Um, they told them, of course, the vaccine had nothing to do with it. But on the other hand, both of their kids no longer had to get th that vaccine. They were given a, a you know, medical excuse for both of their children, um, even though the vaccine, quote unquote, didn't cause the problem. But that child was later diagnosed with autism. And that really, you know, stuck with me, uh, made me think of vaccines and autism. And that's where I started. And I looked at the vaccines for five years before I discovered glyphosate. And I do think they play a role. And glyphosate helps them play a role, as you may know, because there's Anthony Samsolins and Honeycutt, both of them independently found glyphosate contamination in the vaccines. And actually, I think glyphosate is a contaminant in many of our drugs as well. I suspect, you just think it, it would make sense that it would be. And many of the drugs, you know, are, are produced these days through genetic engineering of, of um, E. coli or yeast, you know, they do these fancy things with genetics and they feed those animals uh, high doses of glyphosate probably in their, in their nutrients. You know, these uh, microbes grown in culture are fed nutrients where they don't pay any attention to whether there might be glyphosate. That's gonna work into the, into the products, I suspect. So I really wonder about glyphosate contamination and lots of things that you would never think of. They well, found glyphosate in tampons, for example. But, but for, if it's in the drugs, it's probably gonna be there such a small amount. It, is it clinically significant would be the basic question. But what if it's in the vaccines, and I'm curious how it got in the vaccines, is it because of the chickens? Culture culture from the chicken embryos or the, yeah, the chicken embryos um gelatin which you know anthony Sampson. we have oh, a whole paper oh. on that we wrote glyphosate six was on the topic of uh of the vaccines we reported his results and it was consistent it was the live virus vaccines the ones that had aluminum in them no glyphosate but the live okay. virus vaccines of that virus okay. is grown in the culture and they're fed nutrients and and you know it's the same thing with um experiments that are done uh you know where uh cells grown in culture, even human cells grown in culture are probably being exposed to glyphosate. It's kind of interesting to think about that. I don't know what the consequences of that are, but I know there are consequences. And I think, you know, I see lots of papers that talk about um, very, you know, studies on different kinds of fats and whatnot, different nutrients and, and you know, which, what, which is good, different kinds of fats. It's just like, they're not paying any attention to the glyphosate level and it may be the dominant story in their experiments. They've got two different kinds of fats they're studying. One of them has a lot of glyphosate, the other one doesn't. They don't know that. They don't take that into account. They see the, the one that doesn't the have the glyphosate is much healthier, but it may not be because of the kind of fat it is. It may just be that it doesn't have glyphosate. The glyphosate doesn't store fat though, does it? It's because it, 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 it does go into, it, it, it does go into fats. It does. I just thought it had to integrate into. It's not. It's not a. Um, it's not solid? fat soluble. It's not fat soluble. So in that sense, it's not one of those. Um, you know, uh, Mike. It's not one of those um, chemi chemicals that uh, actually are fat soluble and go into fat for that reason. However, it is in fats because there's a lot of. You know, the the, the uh, government has uh, rules about how much glyphosate is allowed in different nutrients. And they have upper limits for, for things that are, are you know, uh, canola oil, soybean oil. They have upper limits, which means they're finding it in those fats. Hmm, that's odd. I just don't know how it would be there because is it, if glyphosate is glycine, which, you know, we'll get to the basics, which we'll go over in a shortly, it's glycine with these phosphorus. Phospho, phosphate groups attached to it. Yeah, well, it could be the phosphonate actually. And Anthony actually thinks so. He thinks that glyphosate is um, acting as a phosphate analog because it's got this phosphonate oh. unit stuck to it. And fats have phosphates. You know, you have those yeah, that's phospho, right. phospholipids. Okay. So Anthony suspects that could be how it's getting into, into okay. fats. And I suspect he's right. He's actually working on, he's studying that, that idea right now and trying to put a paper together. 
That's great. Uh, and I think the, the concern of the vaccines is somewhat similar to aluminum, the, the, another toxin that's used as an adjuvant to improve the immune response, is that, I mean, it's, it's not good by itself, but when you swallow it, that's one form of toxicity as opposed right. to actually injecting it, which right. is probably multiplied double exponentially. Right, and, they, I know. And, and then you have synergy with glyphosate as well, because yeah, yeah. glyphosate binds to aluminum extremely well in a- yeah, So why don't you point to that? I'm just a little bit of a tangent, but it's an interesting uh, hypothesis that you posed with the, the dual center, uh, toxicity of, of aluminum and, and glyphosate. And probably other toxic metals as well. You know, people have looked at kidney disease in Sri Lanka and suggested that arsenic is, com is combining. Arsenic is similar to aluminum, plus three, um, you know, anion, uh, cation, <laughs> plus three charge. Uh, and that really keeps it from getting past barriers. But when you wrap it up with glyphosate molecules, it becomes a small neutral molecule and it more easily passes through a leaky gut. Glyphosate creates a leaky gut. So that really makes it very convenient to get the aluminum across the gut barrier. Leaky gut sets up leaky brain. You get the aluminum across the brain barrier. And when you get into the acidic environment of the terminal watershed of the blood circulation up there in the brain stem, you, you uh, that more acidic is when glyphosate unloads its target and it's, it's cargo. And then you have toxicity of both aluminum and glyphosate at that point is what I think is happening. And that's theoretical. I mean, we haven't proven it, but, but uh, Chris actually has found high levels of aluminum in autistic brains. And he thinks he, he's gotten really concerned about the vaccines at this point. And that, so I've been interested in that whole concept of aluminum in the vaccines associated with autism, which I still think, I still believe that. It's just that the glyphosate makes it worse. And it makes all the metals actually, it makes the, the minerals both toxic and deficient. And I do talk about that in my book, iron, manganese, you know, they become, um, they, the distribution system gets broken down by glyphosate. Okay, why don't, why don't we go back to the beginning with respect to the introduction of glyphosate as a chemical into our environment, because it didn't exist at some time. This is a relatively recent discovery. Uh, maybe you can walk us through how it was discovered and how and uh, you know, its initial purpose, and then it was uh, repurposed for uh, use as, a, as an herbicide. So um, there, I mean, it went from zero to, I think the latest statistics you have in your book, and they're probably more current ones, was 150,000 tons. That's 300, wait, two, it's it was 125,000 kilograms. Kilograms. It was uh, 138,000 tons, but then went up to 150,000 tons. Yeah, and American it, crops. That's not worldwide. That's American crops. American. Yeah, it's just incredible how much we use. We use, uh, uh, you know, they estimate it's a pound per person for every mother, uh, man, woman and child in this country, a pound each every year, which is a huge amount. It's, you know, to think about. Uh, we use more per person than any other country in the world. And uh, and our government is immune to it. I mean, they just think this stuff is so wonderful. We don't even have to test for it. And that really annoys me. Canada has done a lot of testing and they found a lot of glyphosate in surprising places. That's the other thing people don't realize. Non-GMO is not good enough. And many of the foods that have the highest levels are non-GMO foods. And this is oats and, and wheat and, and barley and, and legumes like chickpeas and uh, lentils, you know, Hummus, for example, these foods are testing very high with glyphosate because they're sprayed right before harvest as a desiccant. And I think that's the reason for the epidemic in celiac disease. It seems very clear to me. Anthony Sampson and I wrote a paper on that. And we showed in that paper that the, there's a strong correlation between the rise in celiac disease over time 
and the rise in glyphosate usage on wheat, specifically on wheat. It matches much better to wheat than it does to the other crops, which makes sense because wheat is the source of the celiac disease. Yes, indeed. So that's a pound of glyphosate per person per year being sprayed on our soils. And at least right. So there, you present some very compelling evidence that there is no, no safe exposure to glyphosate. Yes. But, why, but what would be the to, acute toxic dose? How much of it would you have to be exposed to before you die instantly? And are there reported cases of that? There have been a number of people who have successfully committed suicide by drinking Roundup, for example. Yes, I think the Indian farmers did that, didn't they? They did. The Indian farmers, just articles from Taiwan about that. In Taiwan, actually doesn't use much glyphosate, but they wrote an article about uh, farmers who killed themselves by drinking uh, glyphosate. And um, the United States, you know, uh, it's interesting to study those cases because there was a woman who tried to commit suicide with glyphosate. And it was interesting to study her case because she developed a paralyzed gut, which I found really fascinating. I can explain that. Her gut became paralyzed. And we are all getting our gut numbed, you know, sort of semi-paralyzed, I think, by glyphosate. And that's why we're getting SIBO, because the peristalsis is not working properly. So the, it, it, the stuff doesn't move down through your intestines the way it should. It gets stalled, and then you get this festering of bacteria in the, in the upper intestine. And then she also had glyphosate in her brain. I mean, that was the other thing they showed that went into her brain. It may have been a different article, but it was, there's a woman who was poisoned with glyphosate and they found it in her brain. Post-mortem, they found it in her brain. So it's clear it goes into the brain. And that's really, really disturbing to me <laughs> because I can, and there's lots of studies on animals that are showing that it causes neuroexcitotoxicity due to excess glutamate in the brain. And that is absolutely connected to, to uh, autism. I, I keep looking for the autism thread and that's certainly a, a good part of my book. And of course, I talk about sulfur as well, because that was my first passion. And I discuss in my book, uh, you know, how important sulfur is for our health and in particular sulfate and how much that's connected to autism, sulfate deficiency, and then how glyphosate can cause sulfate deficiency. All of, I go into all of that in my book. Yeah. So uh, let's go back again to the beginning, because to help us put a, our, grasp this progression of Monsanto, of the Monsanto's introduction of this into our, what did Monsanto was the company, was they, were they the company that initially discovered it? No. In fact, it was patented as a uh, pipe cleaner. It it strips metals off of pipes. This is a very good metal. It binds metals really, really well. That's part of its problem. It's a very good metal chelator. And that of course disrupts the gut microbes too, because it makes the metals unavailable to the, to the microbes and they need those minerals to uh, further enzymes that are dependent on them to function properly. The, the microbes get killed because of, of course, the chicken mate pathway too. The microbes have the enzyme in the chicken mate pathway that glyphosate famously disrupts in the plants. And so, and in fact, there's the, the beneficial microbes are especially sensitive to glyphosate. And there, you know, studies have shown that and lactobacillus bifidobacteria, those are really crucial microbes to keep our gut healthy. And they perform a lot of services for the host that don't get performed if they get killed off. Mm-hmm. And you get into problems with digesting gluten, I think because of lactobacillus being killed by glyphosate, lactobacillus has carried several uh, enzymes that we don't have that specialize in breaking down proline. Proline is an amino acid that's common in gluten and casein. Casein is the milk protein. We have all these allergies 
to gluten and casein these days, you know, all these different food sensitivities. And I think it's because the lactobacillus are being killed off. They can't uh, support the digestion of those proteins anymore. And the proteins don't get broken down because they have proline is a difficult amino acid to pry apart from the string. And these uh, enzymes that the microbes produce assist in doing that. And then they don't uh, work. And then the, the protein sticks around the peptide sequence. And that's what causes an immune reaction. And then you get autoimmune attack through molecular mimicry, which is because the antibody misrecognizes uh, a human protein because it looks like the piece of gluten that they've become sensitive to. And so they attack a human protein instead. Yes, indeed. So the, um, we, we talked about the glyphosate molecule being initially utilized for um, a scaling metal chelator. Uh, EDTA is an, an example of another chelator, uh, one that's very popular with chelation doctors. It's which mm -hmm. is a form of therapy to treat heart disease. And I was actually part of that group for a while. I think it's the American Academy. I forget, ACAM, American Academy for uh, or American College of for the Advancement of Medicine is, is the, the primary professional group that's that teaches chelation therapy, and uh, you you discuss in your book how uh, glyphosate is a million times more potent at chelating aluminum than EDTA. Yeah, it's remarkable. I was really shocked when I saw that study, and there's a reference to support that in my book. Yeah, so, I was just stunned. I couldn't believe that it could be so powerful. Yeah. So then you get this power because I, anyone who's been following natural medicine knows how potently toxic aluminum is. As you mentioned earlier, Chris actually is a strong proponent of that, probably one of the leading investigators in this and showing how it impacts the brain, especially when it's administered through an intramuscular inter, uh, subcutaneous injection. So, uh, but when you combine it with, the, with the glyphosate and it goes right past the blood brain barrier, which is the issue and yes. getting into the brain. It's just, so that may be as every bit as impactful as the glyphosate or the aluminum that's being used as an adjuvant in the vaccines. I know. I agree. I, I just, there's just so many ways, you know, it's just astonishing how many ways and people say, you know, and of course, Nancy Swanson was the one who found, uh, started looking at the, at the statistics on the health on all these diseases. And she dug through the uh, databases to find diseases that were going up dramatically and showed incredibly strong correlation. We know that in this country, we have such a problem with obesity and it keeps getting worse. And I think glyphosate is a direct hit on that. I think it's the, I would say it's the primary cause of our obesity epidemic. You know, we keep on saying, well, we're just being lazy. We just sit in front, in front of the TV and stuff our faces with processed foods. And, you know, it is true that processed foods are not healthy, even independently of glyphosate. But I think when uh, eventually, I hope they will you know, do the research to prove this, but I suspect that glyphosate is the primary reason for the obesity epidemic, the autism epidemic, the Alzheimer's epidemic, you know, and some of the cancers too. And glyphosate is, is, cancer is less obvious with glyphosate than these other diseases, but it's there, definitely uh, is linked to cancer. Yeah, I'm not sure that I agree with the, the primary cause. I'm sure it's a contributing variable, but you know, I'm doing research, I think to share some of it with you now is I'm focusing passion upon the uh, massive explosive introduction oh. of linoleic acid, which is an omega-6 right. fat, as being a primary contributor to obesity because it's literally a metabolic poison. It just destroys- Yes, but uh, it's true, but glyphosate is, is also contributing to that because- Yeah, yeah, there's no question, yeah. I, directly, because linoleic acid, um, yeah, it's actually very interesting. I found an article that talked about, you'd be interested in this, 
linoleic acid goes to arachidonic acid. You probably know that it can turn turn right, into right. arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid can be turned into an endogenous cannabinoid, a naturally produced uh, hormone that acts like a marijuana, an endogenous cannabinoid that, that eases pain. And um, the enzyme that does that is the cytochrome P450 enzyme. And glyphosate disrupts cytochrome P450 enzyme. So I think arachidonic acid is getting redirected through these epoxygenase and cyclooxygenase, these enzymes that convert arachidonic acid into extremely uh, immunogenic um, you know, products. I know you probably know that the fatty acid system is really complicated. And I, for a long time, I couldn't handle that research literature because it was so complex. All these different molecules that these fats get turned into that have different properties. But the um, products of the um, epoxygenase are leukotrienes and the leukotrienes have an incredible signaling capacity to mm-hmm. turn on an uh, a, a inflammatory response. And so the leukotrienes are rightfully blamed for causing, you know, all the chronic pain we're seeing with rheumatoid arthritis and in the bone issues, you know, all the joint pain and bone pain, and even probably problems with the brain, maybe headaches, you know, all the different kinds of pain that we're experiencing that are connected to inflammation, I think could be a consequence of the cytochrome P450 enzymes blocking the ability to take arachidonic acid into the endogenous cannabinoid. And instead it gets redirected towards these um, signaling molecules that cause all this damage. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, generic term for those signaling molecules would be prostaglandins. Yes. They're broken. Well, down. that's the other one. That's the COX, I think. Prostaglandins is the COX. And then, yeah. uh, there's also, yeah. Ico- what are they called? Icosanoids, Icosanoids or something. Yeah. yeah. Which is a big group. I, they're complicated names to keep track yeah. of. I, and there's no question that's a part, but, but from my perspective, the primary toxicity of linoleic acid is that it has these double bonds, which are essentially um, oxidized. And these oxidations, yes. This, it's this oxidation that turns them into very toxic free radicals like 4-HNE would be a classic right. example. You are and absolutely right. I agree with you. Massive production of this oxid and an increase in, in oxidative stress directly, not through some hormonal signaling molecule, but direct oxidative just stress damaging the cell membranes, the mitochondria, the stem cells, the DNA that causes the bulk of the damage. And it's specifically yes. in the mitochondria yes. where this, this feedback loop occurs uh, in the electron transport chain, especially I think in cytochrome one, that causes the shutdown of the normal energy metabolism system, which results in the increase in the in adipose tissue. So it's, co- it's complex, but there's just, they're both bad. There's no right. way. Glyphosate, there is no way should excess linoleic acid. And most people are eating 10 times the ideal amount, 10 times at a bare mm-hmm. minimum. Some are, some are much more. Yes, I know. It's really interesting. Uh, the omega-3, omega-6, and also the saturated fats, which I actually think are the healthiest fats. I don't yeah, know yeah, how you feel. Yes, because yeah, they're, totally they're, they don't oxidize because they're already fully, you know, they're fully they don't saturated. have any place to, exactly, they don't have any place to go. And you get those, cute little triangles where the oxygen is hooked to the two carbons. That's what happens with the epoxygenase. You get this cute molecule, but it's very, very reactive. Yeah. You know, the epoxygenase produces these uh, leukotrienes that are very uh, reactive. And then they also, not only are they reactive, but they're also excellent signaling molecules. So they make yeah. the cell behave in a different way that is going to cause the inflammation and the pain. 
Well, I want to go into some, get, bring it back to glyphosate because that's the topic of your primary topic. I know, it's I easy to wander hours. off. I could talk for hours on linoleic acid. I just always like to squeeze it in there somewhere. But the chicken may pathway is so profoundly important. And I, and I think if you could expand on that, it would be so useful because uh, it really identifies, in my view, the primary mechanism of how uh, glyphosate exposure is so biologically toxic. Uh, I mean, obviously there's others, but this is the primary way. So why don't, why don't you expand on that in the, the aromatic amino acids, uh, tryptophan, uh, phenylalanine. Totally, and, yes. Uh, tyrosine, phenylalanine. Tyrosine, <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, that's become so easy for me because I've said it so many times, but it's really quite amazing how important that pathway is. You know, we don't have a shikimate pathway in our cells, not in any of our cells, not in our genes, which is why Monsanto proudly says that this chemical is is great that we're not sensitive to it. But the, what they're overlooking is that our gut microbes do have the pathway. In fact, a study that I talked about in my book showed over 50% of the microbes on average in our gut have the chicken mate pathway. And so they're the ones that are gonna get hit hard by glyphosate. And as I said, lactobacillus and, and bifidobacteria. Mm -hmm. And um, they use that chicken mate pathway to produce these aromatic amino acids, tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Those are crucial coding amino acids that go into all the proteins of our body, according to the DNA code. There's about 20 amino acids, and this is three of them. So you can see they're quite important. And they have very, they specialize in certain skills that the other amino acids don't have. So they're absolutely essential to assemble the proteins. And they don't, and, and we depend upon our diet and on our gut microbes to produce adequate amounts of these amino acids for the host. So when these microbes are being harmed, um, there, there could be a deficiency in, the, in those molecules. And those uh, are not only part of the proteins, but they're also precursors to a lot of important biologically active molecules. For example, tryptophan is a precursor to melatonin and serotonin. And tyrosine is a precursor to um, dopamine? thyroid hormone well, thyroid, no, and also dopamine and uh, adrenaline. These are all really, really important hormones that control brain behavior, you know, and regulate behavior and, and mood and, and all these things. A serotonin deficiency is connected to depression and we have an epidemic in depression. So I think there's really a direct path there um, with the deficiencies in these um, products. Also some of the B vitamins come out of the uh, mm -hmm. chicken mate pathway, both um, yeah. flavor, flavor, um, <laughs> riboflavin, <laughs> riboflavin and um, Niacin, thiamine. Yeah, niacin and riboflavin. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah. So um, that's that is huge because you got to come coming from both ends. You've got the direct uh, depletion of these really essential aromatic amino acids that, that augments our own uh, uh, intake that we hit, get through the food normally, and really is an important component, especially these B vitamins because these B vitamins are so crucial, especially what we're finding in COVID-19 is, I mean, you need thiamine for, for augmenting your immune system. If you don't have a lot of thiamine, you're not going to be able to generate a healthy immune response. Uh, and that's why it's a part of a lot of the, the uh, septic protocols, mm -hmm. vitamin B1, thiamine. So, and, and if you're wrecking it with glyphosate exposure, that's disrupting your shikimate pathway in your gut microflora, you've got a huge problem. So um, now another mechanism that you, that I was uh, reluctant to accept as a hypothesis, and many of my friends were too, who had mm -hmm. really, was the issue of substitution for glycine 
uh, or substitution of glyphosate for the amino acid glycine because it, it, we said it's the core. It's, uh, it's an amino acid is what gly glyphosate is, is what the mm -hmm. gly comes from, except it's got these, these uh, other groups attached to it, phosphonyl groups, and, but which, which pre presents something called steric kindreds. It's basically large mm -hmm. molecules around there, but you present a very elegant argument. And actually, I think your book finally was a straw that broke the camel's back for me because you, there's so much more evidence that you provide in it that, mm -hmm. that I think it's almost non-controversial now if you're, if you're a careful <laughs> student and you review it because I, I didn't accept it until just recently, but I think you're right. Yes. And, uh, you, and uh, So why don't you review that evidence? Because I think it's, a, it's an evolution in understanding it. And, and I suspect more and more people are going to accept your hypothesis now. I certainly hope so. And it's been an incredible resistance to it. I mean, I've really felt very alone in this hypothesis, but I'm so confident because of the more I studied, the more it became clear to me that I was right. And I'm stubborn. You know? So although everyone's telling me, no, this can't happen. It can't be true. I'm yeah, saying, you're that's wrong. That's you're wrong. I'm right. And we'll see. I mean, eventually, hopefully someone will be able to prove it beyond a shadow of doubt. But Monsanto went a long ways towards proving that this is happening in their own research. They just don't admit it. I mean, even their researchers said perhaps it's being incorporated into the protein uh, as to understand what they saw when they studied glyphosate. So, you know, they... And of course, the interesting thing to me was the actual way that it disrupts the shikimate pathway, which is to affect this enzyme called EPSP synthase. That enzyme binds to a molecule called PEP, phosphoenol pyruvate, and the phospho is a phosphate. And so at the place where the enzyme binds this PEP, there's a glycine, and it's a highly conserved glycine in the, uh, in the enzyme. And if that glycine is swapped out for alanine, which is a very similar amino acid, just has an extra methyl group, um, it, the enzyme becomes completely, in, completely insensitive to glyphosate. So it's black and white. Either there's a glycine there, in which case it's incredibly susceptible to glyphosate, or there's alanine, in which case it's completely insensitive. And they haven't found any other molecule that behaves that way. In fact, they have other toxic chemicals that, that disrupt that enzyme by by pretending to be PEP. And that's what they're saying glyphosate is doing is pretending to be the substrate. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, it may do that as well. And that may be an effect, but the real effect is getting into the protein itself. I've yeah, just got a, sorry for the interruption, but isn't this the way they create the GMO resistance by making- Yes, stuff? they get rid of that glycine. They, they turn right. it into alanine. Right, that's what I thought. Yeah, and so, um, so the, the, um, it's, it's really quite, remarkable because glyphosate has this methylphosphonate unit sticking off of its nitrogen. And that is a problem with steric hindrance. I'm, I, I'm confident that if you have a glycine residue with a couple of bulky amino acids next door, mm -hmm. glyphosate is not going to substitute. It won't right. fit. So it does have that issue that it needs to fit. But, it, but the thing is with enzymes that bind phosphate, they're designed to have comfortable room around that glycine mm -hmm. because they need to fit the phosphate of the substrate needs to fit there. Mm -hmm. The enzyme is designed shaped so as to provide room for the phosphate in the mm -hmm. substrate to bind. And for that reason, the enzyme has this room for glyphosate's methylphosphonate unit. So it's the enzymes that bind phosphate at sites where glycine is highly conserved that are the ones that are going to be especially sensitive to glyphosate. And when I finally worked out that, that algorithm and then looked for enzymes, then you start to see, oh my God, these enzymes that glyphosate actually is known to 
suppress it's experimentally have that property they bind phosphate at a place where there's at least one sometimes three highly conserved glycine residues at the place where it binds phosphate and they've been shown to be suppressed by glyphosate and that just all adds up to a story in my book you know yeah it, it was brilliant i mean you were you certainly the one who popularized it and, and developed it was it you or sam seller concurrently you designed developed it together well, it's interesting because I had thought about the idea that glycosate, I know, being glycine and knowing that it's a glycine analog and it was affecting places where glycine binds, like glycine acts as a neurotransmitter, glycine messes that up. I was thinking, geez, I wonder if it could get into the you know, protein in place of glycine. And I initially rejected the theory in my mind because of the fact that it has that extra stuff on its nitrogen. Mm -hmm. I thought that would make it impossible for it to hook up. And then, and Anthony though was in, so we had, I remember a conversation, it was December and I forget which year, but it was in December we had this <laughs> conversation. Yeah, because I went off to Hawaii and I just immersed myself in this idea. Uh, I drowned, in my, drowned myself in papers on glycine mutations because you can find, you know, you can find enzymes where if the glycine is mutated, then it causes the disease. And then glyphosate also causes that disease, that kind of stuff. I mean, you could just work everything together to make the whole mm -hmm. story make sense, which is what I do in my book. My book actually centers on this idea that glyphosate substitutes for glycine in certain proteins. And there's a specific algorithm for where it would happen. And then you can show that those proteins are suppressed by glyphosate experimentally. People have shown, for example, G6PD, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, a very important enzyme in the red blood cells that maintains NADPH in its reduced form. And NADPH feeds into into glutathione to keep it in its reduced form. So it's very, very important. Yeah, let, let, let me just, you, you, you just like a fire hydrant of all its information. <laughs> I I stop you for a moment. And I'm just, I, I, I'm just apologize for interrupting, but that is such a key component because not everyone fully appreciates the value of NADPH. That's mm -hmm. one of the most, if you, if you have limited quantities of this uh, biomolecule, you are really in bad shape. And the, and people who have this enzyme deficiency, it's almost like type one diabetes. It's, you know, it's genetically determined and, you know, they, they, they are at such an increased risk for disease because they don't have that reducing capacity to recharge yes. your antioxidants. So this is huge. It's yes. I totally agree. And I wrote about it in my book. And in fact, I think it's connected to autism as well. Yeah, the yeah. G6. And that is the, uh, the protein that has the most mutations of any protein in the body, the, the most number of different SNP, single nucleotide substitutions. And I think that's because that enzyme's under pressure. I really think that there's a mechanism by which enzymes mutate more quickly when they're under stress. And I think that enzyme is really under stress because of glyphosate. And it's a, it's a such an important enzyme for maintaining healthy glutathione and you know autistic kids have low glutathione they have the glutathione is oxidized it's supposed to be reduced and and they have um and some of them have this g6pd genetic defect as well but i think the glyphosate messing up g6pd is a is a major player in uh, various diseases uh disease states because of this uh insufficient antioxidant capacity because of that um, yeah, it's really fascinating. And another one is succinate dehydrogenase, which is a crucial enzyme in the mitochondria, binds phosphate, um, has um, so, been shown to be suppressed by glyphosate. Let me go back to the G6PD. Now, how does the glyphosate interrupt that specifically? G6PD, uh, oh. Yeah, I mean, is the glyphosate substitute for glycine in, the, in that um, yes. one of the enzymes? Well, that's what I think. I mean, they don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's what I think is that it's substituting for the glycine and messing it up. That enzyme binds 
uh, two NADPH molecules. Actually, it's quite interesting because it has a sort of spare NADPH ready to go. It has to work so fast <laughs> that it needs to buffer. So there's two places in that enzyme where it binds NADPH. And both of them have glycines that are crucial for it to be able to bind NADPH. Glycine is needed at the places where you bind phosphate because it's tiny. You need the room for that phosphate. Yeah. So who would have known? I mean, we talk about the chicken made pathway, but the substitution in the G6PD and reduction of your, all your endogenous antioxidants, yes. maybe one of the primary ways that the glyphosate takes you out prematurely. I think so too. I, I, I find all these things that could be primary. Yeah. It's just amazing. I, I can see why it could be, you know, if people say, ha ha ha, how could one chemical be correlated <laughs> with so many diseases? I say, of course it could. If it does this, you know, right. it totally could. I, I, I find that really interesting. So it's been fun for me because I keep on finding proteins yeah. that are potential candidates. Um, and then I have to learn all about that protein and what happens with mutations well, and does that well, match? Let's go, let's go to another protein that is well known to be extraordinarily high in glycine and it constitutes one oh, yes. fourth of our body's proteins. <laughs> one fourth. The, the, that protein is collagen, you know, the primary protein for our connective tissue. So tell us a story with collagen. Yes, well, I just really feel confident that I'm right that glyphosate is messing up collagen. Collagen has a beautiful triple helix structure, and it, it gives it really special properties of tensile strength and flexibility and ability to hold water. And collagen is, all, it, as you say, one quarter of our proteins are collagen. Collagen has long, long sequences uh, that are called GXY, 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 where every third amino acid is a glycine. Mm. And those glycines hook together to form that triple helix. And there's people who have mutations in those glycines that cause disease, you know, joint diseases and bone diseases. And, um, and I think um, that glyphosate is causing a, you know, there's Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. You've probably heard yes. of that. Yes, and that's associated with glycine mutations and collagen. And, um, and there's an increase in, in, the, in the frequency of that, in the prevalence of that syndrome recently. And of course, you have many more uh, people getting um, surgery for hip replacement surgery, and people have back issues, all kinds of people have back pain, and um, shoulder, shoulder surgery. I mean, there's just knee problems, foot problems, all these different problems with the joints, um, I suspect are being caused by uh, misfolded collagen because of glyphosate messing it up. Okay, so we've got, you know, you just, I think it's useful to identify all of these mechanisms of how glyphosate adversely affects your body because it, it was going to ultimately, I hope, motivate and catalyze people's behavior to eliminate this toxic poison from, from their body and their environment and their family. So, well, another one is its impact on nitric oxide, primarily through ENOS. There's like, there's, th at least three separate ways that your body makes nitric oxide, but ENOS would be the one that's, beneficial nitric oxide, which is endothelial nitric oxide. Right, yes, and uh, ENOS yeah. is, a, um, is what's called a, um, um, <laughs> I forgot, it's, it's not a CYP enzyme, but it's a post relative to the cytochrome P450 enzymes. Okay. Uh, an orphan, they call it an orphan CYP enzyme. People talk about how it has the same principles that the CYP enzymes have. And, um, and I think it gets suppressed by glyphosate because glyphosate suppresses the side enzymes. I'm hypothesizing that it would. And also because it, it has these glycine residues and, and uh, sensitivities with glycine residues. And um, 
And also, of course, because it binds iron, and iron is another one that gets messed up by glyphosate. So there's various ways in which enos could be expected to be affected by glyphosate. And um, enos uh, makes nitric oxide. And of course, I think it also makes sulfur dioxide. And I talk about that in my book. Uh, very, very interesting mm -hmm. idea that makes sense to me um, for reasons that we could get into. But the, but yeah, glyphosate, I think, uh, disrupts enos and i think that is of course disrupting the whole control the nitric oxide actually i think works together with sulfur dioxide to control the um, viscosity of the blood and um, nitric oxide turns into nitrate which is a key, which is a um, cosmotrope and sulfur dioxide turns into sulfate which is a k a uh, chaotrope. I'm sorry. Nitric oxide is a chaotrope, and so, nitrate is a chaotrope, and sulfate is a cosmotrope. And chaotropes and cosmotropes have, are very interesting small molecules that control the viscosity of the blood. Where, where um, it's a whole, all about water structuring, and this is stuff that Gerald Pollack talks about. But the cos, cosmotropes make the water more um, structured, more like gel, and the chaotropes make it more like fluid, liquid. And those two work against each other to maintain the correct viscosity of the blood while other things are going on. So you put a bunch of lipid particles into the blood, it's going to get more viscous. So you've got to kind of make it less viscous by putting more nitric oxide. So there's a back and forth between nitric oxide and sulfur dioxide that's regulated by enos. This is a theory that I have, and it makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I have uh, continued to gather evidence that supports it. And, uh, and if glyphosate messes up enos, then it messes up the blood's ability to maintain its proper viscosity, which means your blood could be too fluid, you could end up with hemorrhaging, it could be too thick, you can't, you know, it can't circulate, you end up with blood clots. So there's a uh, disruption of the, um, of the blood circulation, profound disruption because of disrupting enos, in my opinion. Okay, so we've, we've, compile the list of a variety of different ways that glyphosate can take you out prematurely and will likely take you out. Um, so before we go into some of the ways that we need to, uh, the practical strategies as a result of how we can catalyze this to, to implement these strategies, I'm wondering if you can give us an update from your perspective on the recent litigation uh, with glyphosate, uh, because Monsanto, of course, was bought by Dow, uh, or not sorry, Dow, Bayer, Bayer in Germany, and uh, assumed all their liabilities. And uh, they had, there was one, the, I think the la last lawsuit that was, went to jury trial, they were, were awarded $2 billion. And there mm -hmm. was, there was like 1500 other or 15,000, I forget the zeros on that. But there was literally hundreds of billions of dollars at, at potential stake. But I think the and this is one of the the downsides of our legal system is they have these class action suits and you know they essentially it allows the, the attorneys to negotiate a very big reward for themselves with relatively little work rather than having each of those independent litigants go to trial separately so um so do you know the latest status on that i'm because i think they settled for and i just don't know what the settlement was well, that's so confusing because I've been following it and it was complicated because it looked like that they had had a settlement that was way too low, of course. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. settlement had a had a catch, which was which was really scary because oh, it looked yeah. like it was going to be they could form this committee. And, of course, Monsanto <laughs> could stack the deck and then the committee would decide. 
for everybody forever in the future that glyphosate doesn't cause cancer. You know, it was incredible. They were hooking that as a, as a, as a um, requirement to go with, you know, Bayer was willing to pay this $10 billion, whatever it was on the condition that um, there would be this committee that would be formed. And obviously the committee would then decide that glyphosate doesn't cause cancer. And after that, nobody could sue anymore. It was the kind of idea that was mm-hmm. being put together there. And I think the lawyers balked on that. The last that I had heard, they said, no, we, we won't sign this. And, and that it was still sort of being fussed over. And I, I haven't it's, it's heard not anything. Finalized. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought you might have heard. I, I don't recall. I, I should be following it. I, usually I get people telling me, you know, <laughs> I have friends and it's been quiet for a while. So that I heard that a few months ago and I well, don't gonna, know they're, if there's they're going to weasel their way out of this. I mean, that literally the the potential uh, it, sh- it should have been over 100 billion dollars, which would have put them out of business, would have yes. destroyed it. So but the end result of that is there's clearly a, a huge liability and uh, have, has that resulted in decreased uh, administration or, or uh, selling of glyphosate? From your- I think so. In fact, there are stores now that normally sell glyphosate that are getting nervous about it. And that's actually working really well that the stores are starting to refuse to sell it because they're afraid of their liability with a lawsuit. And once that starts happening, I think it's a domino effect. Um, Mexico, you know, banned glyphosate. They're going to phase it out entirely by 2024, which makes me very, very happy because they're our next door neighbor. And our country, of course, is pressuring them that that's not reasonable and you shouldn't do this. And our country is even worried that they're going to start banning our food because it's contaminated with glyphosate. We're refusing our imports. Uh, you know, we're getting anxious about that. Well, I certainly hope they do. I think that would be awesome if Mexico refused our food because it was too high, too highly contaminated with glyphosate. That would really, really send a message to our government that I would think they couldn't ignore. Yeah, and, it's, and it's not unprecedented. I, I believe in the book you mentioned in 2015, Russia refused to plant scraps yes. and, and they put a total ban in 2016 on GMO imports. Yes, That's Russia is really. That's five yeah. years. I've heard that they're, they want to, you know, Putin has said they want to be the sort of king of, of organic, like they want to export organic food to the, to the world. And you know, they still have a lot of small organic farmers in Russia, so they're in better shape to get yeah. back to where we need to go. Our massive, huge you know, agrochemical farms need to be shut down and need to be turned into small family farms. That's going to be a big effort. We have to do it, I believe. Yeah, so... The uh, let's get a bigger picture too with respect to the uh, hurdles and dangers that we face from having introduced all this glyphosate. You know, two hundred thousand tons a year in the United States alone—it's crazy. So, how long does it last in the soil? You know, what's its half life, and uh, is there any way that can be accelerated that the the degradation of it? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and of course, uh, Monsanto came out and said that it was really great. It breaks down within two weeks. It's gone. You know, really <laughs> <laughs> right. Two yes. weeks. Yeah, maybe you meant two days, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but of course, people did studies. And there was a study that was done, you know, with pot. And they had this uh, sand and silt in a pot. And they put glyphosate in. And then they were just tracking it over time. And um, and it took the, two years later, two thirds of it was still around. So it was really going away very, very slowly. And it really depends on, on the soil type. You know, some soil types, it actually gets kind of trapped mm-hmm. and then the microbes can't get at it um, and it just sits there. And, and, you know, most microbes cannot metabolize it. So it depends upon having microbes in the soil that can break it down. If you do have those microbes, I think it's great. And I think people are learning to 
to cultivate that idea. In fact, it's interesting because there's, you know, this um, fungus, uh, Aspergillus. Aspergillus mm -hmm. is a fungus that's actually toxic. And we've had trouble with Aspergillus, you know, mycotoxins in our food. And um, Aspergillus is, is very capable of completely breaking down glyphosate and using its uh, phosphorus as a source of phosphorus. So it's a, um, I think some of the um, overgrowth of pathogens that we're seeing is a consequence of those pathogens being able to, to metabolize glyphosate. So, you know, it depends on the soil type. It depends on the sun. If, if glyphosate gets into the ocean uh, and, and gets a, too deep to have sunlight exposure, that also makes it last a long time. And experiment, a uh, recent experiment on, on glyphosate in waterways found they were really surprised that when you, they, they did an experiment with glyphosate in water that had sort of organic matter in it, you know, these sort of biofilms in the waterway. And they found the glyphosate went right into the biofilms and disappeared from the water. So it looked as if it was gone. But then when they looked in the biofilm, it had like, I don't know, a thousand times as much glyphosate as what was in the water. So that's scary too, because I, you know, I just wrote an article together with Jennifer Margulis on uh, the manatees in Southern Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, that's, it was published in the Washington Post, an opinion piece. And um, we wrote about, uh, I wrote about the uh, Florida problems with glyphosate in, in the book. I have a section on that uh, with the um, overgrowth of the, uh, the red tide and the blue green algae. You know, they've got quite a mess over there with these overgrowth of these um, yeah, that, that microbes. May, that may be related to the fertilizer they're using. Because it I, is. You know, yes. Lake Okeechobee is the, 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 uh, where most of the rivers drain into and up from the farmlands and they're spraying all these phosphate fertilizers and, and, the, and it winds up feeding this, the, the algae and you get the red tide, but the, the yes, but the cyanobacteria actually are able to fully metabolize glyphosate and they can use the phosphorus oh, and glyphosate as a source of phosphorus. So phosphorus, oh, wow. glyphosate is a, is a phosphorus fertilizer as far as the cyanobacteria are concerned. Yeah, and but then, then they, the, the phosphate, they're adding addition to that. Yes, too. right, exactly. And we talked about that in the article. We talked about the phosphate fertilizer, but people are overlooking glyphosate as a source of phosphorus, particularly because it kills off the competition. And so the cyanobacteria just take off and then they, they block the sun. And then the, uh, the food that the manatee eats can't grow because it's too dark. Um, plus it's being poisoned by glyphosate. And they found, you know, a recent study found glyphosate in the, in the manatees. Um, Manatees yeah. are have uh, are testing positive for glyphosate, and uh, I think the glyphosate is a major player in their problems. They've been in really bad shape this year. Uh, I got diverted there, didn't I? But it's basically no, no, no. It's an important topic because, mm -hmm. as a company, we came up with a solution. Actually, proposed it to some of the governmental agencies, which they didn't implement. Which is really simple because they it's primarily the sugar canes that the fields that mm -hmm. are being uh, grown to and have the glyphosate and uh, the phosphate fertilizers. So it's a it's a pro tremendous supplier of biomass. So you could take the sugarcane husk and create biochar and essentially get filter all that affluent runoff through the biochar collected, essentially eliminate the phosphate and the glyphosate, right? Bind it all up and then you put it back in the soil. <laughs> it completes the cycle and eliminates the problem, but they refuse to do it because you have to create these, you have to create biochar, you yes. know, so it'd be a few million dollars of investment to create the, the, the uh, generator, not the generators, the kilns or the furnaces to do that. Uh -huh. But it, it's a total solution and it's it right. a regenerative cycle. 
Right. I know it's sad that they don't recognize these obvious solutions to us. It makes so much sense. Yeah. And I know there's that phosphate um, catchment basement basin that's leaking in Florida right now. That's, they've been pumping, pumping tons of highly phosphate contaminated water into the bay because they're afraid that dams are going to break and people are going to, you know, it's just an awful mess. And, and that's a, a problem with the phosphate fertilizers. I mean, that gets back to the whole notion of organic farming because you know these are synthetic fertilizers the phosphate and nitrate fertilizers are probably a major contributor to global climate change you know nitrate yeah. in particular because that nitrous oxide uh, and the, and glyphosate disrupts the uptake of the nitrogen into the um, soil so you end up with a combination of effect there which is true in so many cases where the nitrous oxide gets released into the air and that's a hundred times worse than carbon dioxide as a fossil as a fuel that um global warming yeah so we're, we're, we've kind of talked about the uh the permanent solutions which is to eliminate glyphosate mm -hmm. from the environment but in the meantime that's i mean best case scenario is going to be a long time away and that's best case and it may we may never be eliminated for you know i it's possible. So what are the practical things that we can do personally to protect ourselves from this onslaught of metabolic catastrophe from glyphosate exposure? Yeah, well, obviously, the key thing to do for yourself is to buy certified organic food. I think that helps a lot. Studies have shown that they're not necessarily glyphosate free, but if they do have glyphosate, it's typically a lot less. And they're not allowed to use glyphosate, but of course, it's pervasive, so they can't avoid it. Uh, it shows up in the foods, but at much lower levels. So I think I'm very conscious about purchasing only certified organic when I shop at the grocery store. And I think that has really helped to improve the health of both myself and my husband. We've really seen health benefits from that. And, um, and I think that's number one. And then, of course, I also think eating a high sulfur diet is important because sulfur is, I think, really crucial for the health of your of your metabolism and the health of your immune system, you know, and sulfur um, deficiency, I think, is a component of our problems, um, a, a driver behind some of our health yeah. problems. And what's your current position on glycine, the amino acids? Yes, glycine, that's right. I've had because, uh, you know, so the theory is that if you have a sufficient amount of glycine in your body to create your own amino acids, you're not going to, it's not going to necessarily substitute the glycine and glyphosate into that amino acid. Right. It's, it's going to be com competitive, but, you know, competition between glycine. If there's lots of glycine, you're going to be much less likely to pick up glyphosate. I think that's actually a really good idea. And you've suggested that and other uh, alternative medicine specialists have told me that they've had success with glycine and glycine that's probably not very expensive and, and very safe. And um, so it's an easy thing to, to take as a supplement, um, which I think could definitely help to chase away the glyphosate from affecting your bones. People have talked about fulvic acid. I, I even give it to my chickens. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love your chickens. That's so fun that you're, gro you're growing your own chickens. Yeah, I, got, I got almost two dozen now. It's crazy. <laughs> that's just wonderful. Um, yeah, so glycine um, and sulfur and uh, uh, perhaps fermented foods, I think, are uh, good. Vitamin K2 is important to make sure you have plenty of that. And vitamin D, of course, sunlight exposure. So I'm really a big fan of sunlight. Um, and vitamin D is getting messed up by glyphosate as well, because that's the cytochrome P450 enzymes. Both the liver and the kidney have cyp enzymes that turn vitamin D into the active form. 
You yeah. know, it's interesting. That's what we, that's what I was taught in medical school, but the more recent science shows, though, that's still true. It's in almost all your immune cells. It's so I know it is. Yes. I know they, they, they also convert it into other things. I mean, it goes down different pathways, not necessarily the, the pathway that activates it. It can actually get taken out of your blood and turned into sort of an inactive form by the immune cells under conditions probably that reflect some status that the cells are trying to deal with. You know, the cells have just an amazing ability to change their behavior on the basis of signals that they see. And, uh, and that's related to health issues. And I think when the mitochondria get sick, um, the cells behave very dramatically differently from when the mitochondria are healthy, necessarily because they can't make enough ATP with the mitochondria. Yeah. That's how you end up with a cancer cell too, because it starts making ATP used in glycolysis taking in lots of sugar and uh, turning it into lactate and then shutting down the mitochondria that cancer cells do that. And I think that's because the mitochondria are, are disturbed. Yeah. So, you know, fortunately there's really only a handful of principles you need to follow. And if you follow those, you're going to be healthy and you're going to avoid almost all disease. It really is. There's literally five or six things to do. And, mm. and part of those five or six, avoiding glyphosate assiduously, religiously, yes. obsessively. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not, I mean, you've got to be ridiculous about it because it's so dangerous. And, and you have to know and understand it because no one in the media will tell you this. Mm -hmm. No one. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you the exact opposite, which that's is very frustrating. It's yes. doublespeak and that's becoming the, the, the norm now, not the exception. <laughs> Everything they tell you is the exact opposite. It's like it's amazing, isn't it? You can't believe they can get so many things wrong. Oh, I know. It's just crazy. So yeah, so you know, you you have made such a magnificent contribution. It literally is the Bible of glyphosate. You know, from my perspective, I've never read a better book on it. Uh, I mean, it doesn't go into the history and some of the policies and stuff, but that's fine. But if you just want the science, the solid mm -hmm. science, well-referenced and documented, you got to pick up this book. This is essentially a 20, I, I think I wrote, I, here. <laughs> I wrote an endorsement for your book. What does it say? Where's it? Toxic Legacy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that, your endorsement. Right. Yeah. Endorsement's on there too. But I said, and then the endorsement, I said, this is the 21st century equivalent of Silent Spring. This is what it is. That's great. Thank and, you. And I really believe that. I mean, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it was true. It's so obvious. And, you know, and it's such a, an amazing synchronicity or serendipity that you actually read her book when it first came out. That's so amazing. I was 14 years old at the time. I remember it well. I was really uh, stunned by it, actually. And it, it, it planted a seed in my mind, never left. I've always been concerned about toxic chemicals. I actually never used Roundup on my lawn because I just don't like toxic chemicals. Yeah. I didn't know at the time that it was so toxic, but I just don't yeah. use these chemicals. You know? Well, that I'm sure that's part of the reason why at your age, you're still fully, uh, your mind was working great. I mean, I, I know people that are, are not nearly as old as you and the, you know, there's, there's a bit of a challenge there going on. And we can, we can see that in certain individuals in our administration. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, uh, if, you, if you pay it, see, because your body is designed to function incredibly well until you die. You just drop off like a dead, ever ready, ever ready battery bunny. <laughs> and, but you've got full capacity until then. And if you don't do that, you're going to run into problems. And you, you've really applied these principles. And as a result, you're, you're reaping the benefits now. So if you want, if you want to reap the same benefits as Dr. Senna, 
don't eat glyphosate, avoid it like crazy. Right. Yeah. And it is hard to avoid, you know, cause it's also could be in your water supply, could be in the air. Oh, yeah. You got to filter your water. Yeah. The mm-hmm. air too. That's a, t- that's a tough one. You got to yes. welcome to be wearing masks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's a new study out from Brazil that showed um, glyphosate. They, they measured glyphosate in the nanoparticles in the air and they found actually higher levels in the city than they did in the areas where the glyphosate was being sprayed, which was very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. So the book is available pretty much everywhere to get on Amazon. You can pre-order it or your favorite bookstore. You don't have to go to use Amazon at all. Mm-hmm. Pretty much yeah. everywhere. So any other closing comments you'd like to make? Uh, just uh, thank you for helping to promote my book. I really appreciate that. And I really do hope it sells well, not because I want to make a lot of money, but because I want to get the message out about glyphosate. I really hope yeah. it will have an impact. Yeah, I do too. Because it's very rare where you're ever going to generate large sources of revenue from writing a book. And right. most, most, most people are, and, and not that they should know, but they really have no clue or understanding of the amount of effort and energy that goes into compiling a resource like this. I mean, you you maybe make 50 cents or 75 cents an hour. Right. I mean, it looks like you, the minimum age would be like a, a a magnificent improvement over what you're getting rewarded for in writing this book. Because you have to put in, hundreds in your case probably thousands of hours to compile yes. this yes absolutely you know, it's, just, it's and it's so it's such a bargain to get this and thank you so much for making that sacrifice and and providing us with this great resource thank you